Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Hoyland in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we speak with ESPN and ABC's lead college football analyst, former Ohio State quarterback and captain, the blue-eyed Buckeye himself, Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk is joining us in support of the Goodyear Blimps headed to the Hall Sweepstakes. To mark the Blimps' honorary induction to the College Football Hall of Fame, Goodyear is launching the contest to give one lucky fan and guest a chance to win a VIP Hall of Fame experience. The prize includes a private tour of the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, tickets to the 2019 Peach Bowl, access to the College Football Hall of Fame suite at the game, a chance to meet with Hall of Famers, and a ride inside the iconic Goodyear Blimp. If you would like to enter, please visit www.headedtothehall.com to enter now through November 7th. I spoke with Kirk earlier this week, fresh off of him calling Ohio State's 48-7 drubbing of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and ahead of him returning to Columbus to call this weekend's primetime matchup between the Buckeyes and Michigan State. If you didn't watch Saturday's game, Herbie is all in on the Buckeyes this season and what Ryan Day and Justin Fields are doing, but we will get into that momentarily. Also, in an effort for full disclosure, while I didn't talk about this with Kirk, and he absolutely does not remember, in the winter quarter of 2003, I, then a student at Ohio State, was an intern for the Kirk Herbstreet and Ian Fitzsimmons show at Sports Radio 1460, The Fan in Columbus. Ian couldn't remember my last name when we got there, so he dubbed me Matt Tuiasa Sopa during my time with the station. Also, that is when I first met Lori Schmidt, who now joins me every game day for our LGHL Tailgate podcast. Anyway, with that history lesson out of the way, here's my conversation with my former boss, Kirk Herbstreet. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Good. Good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to do this. Uh, we'll dive right in since we do have that hard out. Um, obviously, you saw Ohio State in person for the first time this season on Saturday against Nebraska, and afterwards you ranked them as what you thought to be currently the best team in the country. Obviously, a yeah. lot has changed for them since 2018, but if you had to single out one thing that's allowed them to be this dominant thus far, are you able to do that? Man, you're, you're right about such a different team than, than than who they were a year ago with Dwayne Haskins and, and the scheme that they were running. I, I guess if I were to just single out one thing, offense, I would say on the offense, it's the offensive line play. <laughs> Blown away by how they're controlling the line of scrimmage, whether it's the run or the pass. It's the best group left to right I've seen at Ohio State, and I don't know how long wow. uh, it's been. And defensively, they look like a completely different unit with what uh, Jeff Hafley and Greg Madison have installed, playing a lot more cover three. They've simplified. They're playing more zone. And when you play zone, it, it, it frees you up to get your eyes on the quarterback and eyes on the ball. And that's why you're seeing them react so much quicker. And so I would just say the, the fundamentals of the defense and how, how much faster they're responding and reacting along with the offensive line play, that probably the two things that, that jump out at me if I just could pick one from each side of the ball. 
And, and I think a lot of folks recognize that when it comes to talent on the field, you look at the recruiting rankings and everything, Ohio State has as much talent as anybody in the country. But in recent years, some of those things that you mentioned kind of prevented them from maybe be reaching their ceiling. Now that you compare these units that are playing much quicker and much more simplistically, like you mentioned, with the talent that we know they've already had, how close do you think they are to maybe making up the gap they had in past years? Obviously, you have them as the number one team in the country against some competition that hasn't been great so far, but are, are they at the level to compete with the Clemsons and Alabamas, do you think, already? Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. The, the, the big thing is just maintaining it. You know, I, I, I've said since the season started that that being around that team, I've, I've sent a major focus um, kind of a a collective dis they feel disrespected whether it's the meetings in Chicago with the Michigan vote to be the top team in the in the Big Ten or the notion they hear that how is this team going to win without Urban Meyer who's this Ryan Day guy I'm talking from a national perspective uh, how are they going to win without Dwayne Haskins and those 50 touchdown passes I I think that this team kind of showed up angry. Uh, this year and if you've noticed other than a little bit of a slow start against Miami you know they're, they're it's kind of like they're approaching every week as like a faithless opponent like they're 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 off to bigger and better things than you know worrying about this particular week and now here's the question can they maintain that you know can can they maintain that rage uh that anger when now all of a sudden everybody's telling them how great they are to me that's that's the challenge that that's what we'll see um, in the coming weeks, because as you know, from following them, they're going to play teams starting with Michigan state. You got Penn state, you got Wisconsin, you got even Michigan, not looking great, but still a rivalry game, much, much bigger uh, competition down the road. And this is just a discussion through five weeks of football. Uh, there are so many landmines out there. Things change, as you know, but at this point, man, there, there's no doubt that if they play the way they're playing right now with that same focus and that same just, I call it anger, um, they will be a very, very tough team for anybody to handle. But it's impossible, it's impossible to predict the future, and you know how that goes. It's, it's, that's the challenge of it is trying to do it for 12 or 13 weeks. Yeah. And and I don't know how to ask this question without it coming off as maybe a a slight to Urban Meyer and that's not how I want it uh, to come off at all oh, because okay. obviously he's a he's a Mount Rushmore coach especially in Ohio yeah. State athletics but you mentioned kind of the differences that you see in the approach between what Ryan Day is doing and what Urban Meyer did. I think everybody recognizes that Urban Meyer was one of the best motivators in college football, but there were at times some letdowns uh, against lesser opponents and we saw those poke their heads up in the past few years. As you've spent time around this team especially in this past week, have you seen that those changes come from day or is it part of just the chip on their shoulder and the, the, the players are excited to kind of prove people wrong? Where do you think that difference is coming from? I think it, it whether you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids, the, the best thing that any coaching staff can get is, is for elite teams. Like you, you're talking about these teams that Ohio state, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, you know, Oklahoma, Auburn. If you can get a team as a group, to feel disrespected, that's that's your sweet spot. Like you, you that's what you want to be. And Urban Meyer was the king 
he would even fake quotes to get his team fired. Like in 06, <laughs> he's, he told Florida quotes that I never even said, and he plastered their hotel room with quotes. That, Look at Herb Street said about you guys kind of saying, because that was a year where I said something about Michigan deserved another chance in the national championship after the number one against number two, the year Bo died. And, you know, Florida didn't deserve a chance and all that. So he, he made it sound like Florida didn't deserve to be in the game. They have no chance and made up a bunch of stuff. He'll tell you that. But that was his his way of getting a team ready to play was get them to, to really buy in uh, to the disrespect card. This team, even though that that's, that's kind of been their rallying call, I've been blown away with their execution and, and their focus on detail. Uh, and if it's, we'll find out in the coming weeks, to be honest with you, Matt, but if it's that disrespect thing, if it's the, the Michigan being voted as the Big Ten champions, I don't know what it is. I just see a very mature and very focused, like a team that's that they're focused on the task at hand. They're not thinking about what's going on with social media. They're not thinking about other things. It's just about execution. And I can only guess that the disrespect has something to do with that. But I also think Ryan Day's approach is very, very different uh, from what they're used to with Urban Meyer. And both ways, you know, can be can be effective. Urban Meyer won a bunch of national championships doing it his way, so that works. Ryan Day seems like he wants Ryan Day seems like he wants a relationship with these guys more. Like he's kind of loving on these guys as much as he's motivating them. And I think, you know, he opens up his, his, uh, his office. He wants them to feel like that's their family room. Like, I don't think that's just talk. I think that stuff's real. And I think he loves on them as much as he coaches them. And I think so far after five weeks, this team's really responding to that. Yeah. And one thing that you mentioned is kind of the maturity and the poise that this team had. And and I think that that immediately brings Justin Fields to mind with me. There was so much hype with him transferring to Ohio State. And I thought myself and I think a lot of other people thought that the flashes of greatness that we saw from him would eventually be his legs. But through five games, to me, he looks like an NFL passer. The best way to describe him, oh yeah, yeah. The best way to describe him first, the first and foremost with quarterback play at, at the highest level is if you ever went in to take an exam and you studied so well that you just were like almost laughing at the questions because you <laughs> knew the answers to the questions, right? And then you took another exam and you maybe didn't quite study the way you should have. And you're like, oh my God, what are we doing here? You're kind of guessing your way through. Well, through five weeks, he has, he's approaching these exams like he has the answers to the questions. And when a quarterback does that, whether you watch it on Sunday or you watch Tua throw, you watch Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, what happens is you know where to go with the ball. And when you know where to go with the ball, you're able to throw the ball in rhythm and on balance. And your, foot, your feet are in line, your eyes are in line, because you know where to go. You know, based on the coverage, where to go with the ball. And when a quarterback has protection and he knows where to go with the ball, it makes it a lot easier to be uh, efficient. And that's what he looks like to me. He just looks like a guy who's in command. He looks like a guy who's working through his progressions. And when all else fails, like the first touchdown last week in Lincoln, he's got his feet, takes off, big touchdown to kind of start the game. And um, I think people maybe underestimated his ability to throw. He's still developing the touch. 
You know, the, the ball needs to go up in the air. Uh, and Leeds, Dwayne was the king of that. And I think that's the area he's probably still working to uh, perfect. But everything else is accuracy, um, the throws that he makes where he puts a, you know, puts a lot of velocity on the ball, puts it on a line. I mean, that, that's, that's next-level quality that you're looking at. Uh, but I, I think the kid is staying grounded. Um, he's staying hungry, and he's, he's really in tune with his quarterback coach and, and with Ryan Day. And right now they are they're, they're just kind of working all together against the, the opponent. And no matter what coverage these guys are throwing at them, um, you have an embarrassment of riches that they have in running back and receiver and the lines playing well. Like I said, it, it's been kind of shooting fish in a barrel right now. Yeah. Well, uh, we've got to wrap up here, but you're, you and Chris Fowler are coming, uh, to Columbus this weekend to have yeah. to see Michigan State take on Ohio State. And obviously, Mark D'Antonio always finds a way to get his team ready to play the Buckeyes. They're one of the best defenses in the country, but they're still going to be a, a huge underdog. What do you think that the Spartans have to do most if they're going to pull the upset on Saturday? Well, they've, they've got to, they try to, they have to find a way to get, Justin Fields out of this rhythm that he has enjoyed for the first five weeks. And and to me, where that starts is trying to make it a tough day for J.K. Dobbins. And how do you make it a tough day for J.K. Dobbins? Joe Bocci, defensive line, middle linebacker Bocci, they, they've got to have a big day of getting off of blocks, which nobody's been able to do, and to slow down Dobbins. And try to disrupt, as I said, the timing and the continuity that this offense has right now where they're dictating the terms of, of, of the action of the game. There has not been a defense yet to dictate things to them. Um, and, and when you do that, you get him in those third and eight, and now you can try to get creative with how you can bring pressure. Right now, Ohio State, like I said, they're, they're kind of going in autopilot, and nobody's been able to get them out of that because of, uh, the down and the distance has always seems to be in their favor. So I think Michigan State has to stop stop J.K. Dobbins first and then try to get Justin Fields into some obvious passing situations. And then that's when Mark D'Antonio can get really – Mike Trestle then get really creative with some blitz packages. If they can't do that, then it's going to be a, a tough thing to slow down uh, the Ohio State offense. And like I said, five weeks in, nobody's been able to do it yet. Yeah. Well, Kirk, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Really looking forward to the game on Saturday, and yep. have a great rest of the season. Appreciate it. And you got you've got all these Goodyear talking points to, to include. The big thing is that that website www.headedtothehall.com. Absolutely, I appreciate it. All right, bud. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Thanks, of course, to Kirk Herbstreet and Nico Burton. If you are finding this podcast on the website, don't forget to go to your favorite podcasting app and subscribe so that you get all of the Land Grant Holy Land audio goodness this fall, in which we bring you at least one podcast episode every single day during the football regular season. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon, and go Bucks.